The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Now last week we were looking at Romans chapter 7 and uh, hopefully this week we'll finish Romans chapter 7. So we'll see what we can do. The chapter itself refers quite a lot about the law. And that is the set of instructions that Moses gave to the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. Very, very important as far as the Israelites were concerned, because these were the rules, the regulations, the instructions that God had given them. You need to live by these. So this isn't just any old set of instructions. These are the God-given, written on the tablets of stone, delivered by Moses, instructions. And there's a lot that Paul says about the law in this particular chapter. Now, he says about the law that it, that it only has authority over you while you are alive. It only has authority over you while you're alive. And Paul, in chapter 7, if you remember it from last week, he gave the example of a married couple, saying that if the wife of that married couple had a relationship with another man while her husband was still alive, then everybody would declare that relationship to be adulterous. But if her husband dies, then she is free, completely free, to marry another man, and nobody would say anything about it. They would say, that's okay. So Paul, referring to that example, he continues in chapter 7, verse 4. This is Romans 7, verse 4. So he says, so my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. In other words, okay, you've heard about that story. Now, this is the point that I want to bring out to you. You died. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. It's like Paul was saying this. Look, you were married to the law. But now you have been released since you died with Christ. And now you have begun a new relationship, but not with your husband, the law, because he's died. Now you are united with Christ. And now being married to Christ, you want to bear new offspring. You want to have other children, if you like. And those other children are a harvest of good deeds for God. So there's something that wants to come out of this new relationship. This harvest of good deeds for God. And Paul goes on again, Romans 7 verse 6, to remind us that we have been released from the law. For we died to it and are no longer captive to its power, now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living by the Spirit. And as I'm reading this through, it just reminds me, it says here, you have died. You have died. You've been released from the law because you've died to it. Here's a question which is even going through my mind right now. Have you really died? Have you really died? And are you really fully belonging to Christ? It's an important question for us to get in our minds because this is, as we will see, a bit of a challenge as we go on with this particular chapter. So Paul is teaching this. We no longer serve the law, but we do serve God in the new way of the Spirit. That's what he says. Now, 
Paul takes us back to ask us a question. Having got to verse 7, Paul takes us back to ask us a question. And the question is this. He's saying, am I suggesting, he sort of asks it as it were from himself, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Is this the reason we're rejecting it? Are we actually saying it's sinful? Don't forget where the law came from. It came from God via Moses to the children of Israel. So now Paul is asking this question, what what do we say? Are we suggesting that the law of God is sinful? But he quickly answers, absolutely not. Of course not. That's not what we're saying at all. Then he goes on, Romans 7, chapter, uh, verses 7 to 13. He says, in fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting is wrong if the law had not said, you must not covet. But sin used this command to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. At one time, I lived without understanding the law. But when I learned that the command not to covet, when I learned the command not to covet, for instance, the power of sin came to to life, and I died. So I discovered that the law's commands, which were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. Sin took advantage of those commands and deceived me. It used the commands to kill me. But still, the law itself is holy. And its commands are holy and right and good. But how can that be? Did the law, which is good, cause my death? Of course not. Sin used what was good to bring about my condemnation to death. So we can see how terrible sin really is. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. Notice what I read there, verse 12. It says, the law given by God is holy And its commands are holy and right and good. So Paul is fully upholding the righteousness, the holiness of the law. But I guess we can ask this point. Well, well, how come this holy law caused my death? Well, the law, of course, pointed out to me what was wrong to do. And the example that Paul gives, or that I've already read, is that of coveting. He said, thou shalt not covet. And the power of sin, he explains, comes to life. It's almost like when you hear that, you should not covet. All right. And then you find yourself actually falling into covetous behavior. And hence, if you fall into covetousness, then you are sinning. And when we sin, the wages of sin is death. So you can see the law arouses something within us. It's our action. It's what comes out of us. It's our behavior that actually causes us to sin, and because we sin, then the wages of sin is death. And therefore, that is how the law causes death. You see, Paul is trying to help us understand what sin does. Notice what he said in verse 13. It says it uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. That's what sin does. It uses God's good commands for its own evil purposes. Okay, well, that takes us through that first section of chapter 7, and that leads us on now to this final section of verses 14 to 25. But this is probably the most challenging part. And why is it challenging? Well, it's challenging for many reasons, but first let's just read a bit of it first, and then I'll explain afterwards. So Romans 7, 14 to 24. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human a slave to sin. 
I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am the one doing wrong. I am sorry, so I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I do not want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Now, I just need to say this, verse 24, where it says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. I'm reading here from the New Living Translation. The NIV actually puts that, Oh, what a wretched man that I am. And I need to actually announce that to you because this is where the challenge for centuries has been over. Who is this man? Who's Paul talking about here? Who is this man he's talking about? And, and I say for centuries, even back as far as Augustine in the 4th century, people have been debated exactly who this man is. Some say this is Paul describing himself before he was saved. This is before he was saved. And that's why he's saying these things about how sin is having control, and how it's dominated and all these sort of problems. He's describing himself before he was saved, or as we're going to call it here, the unregenerate man. He's not been regenerated by God. Okay, So that's what I mean by unregenerate. He is not saved. Others say Paul is describing himself having been saved. So this is now Paul who is saved. In other words, this is Paul the apostle of faith describing how he finds the reality of his Christian life. He is therefore a regenerate man. He's now been saved. He has been regenerated by God. So some say this is the unregenerate. No, 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 no. What is being said here? This can't be a Christian because of what he's saying. And the others say, no, 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 this is Paul actually expressing what he is like. The debate obviously continues amongst theologians. I personally have always thought this is the life of a regenerate man, somebody who is saved. And I guess the reason I've held this view is quite simply because I identify with the words that are being said in this passage. I can understand the feelings, the pressures that is being described there. Look, when Paul says in Romans 7, 18 to 19, and I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I find those things happening in my life. Just checking around to see if anybody agrees with me here. <laughs> Sorry. Please agree. Yes. Okay, let me carry on. I can say that, look, I identify with this. I can feel the same as this. So at times, I feel what the NIV says, a miserable man, a wretched man that I am. And many would say, even if you didn't nod, many will say, I would agree with them. This cannot be an unregenerate person. This can't be the unsaved Paul. 
because of what Paul himself writes. He is indicating that this person has a knowledge of sin. And not just a knowledge of sin, but they want to live right. They want to do what is good. No, this is not an unsaved, an unregenerate person. Generally, the unregenerate, those who are not saved, they are simply living life doing the best that they can. And certainly, if you were to have a conversation with them, they might say, what? You know, if you say, do you sin? We all sin. We all sin. But basically, I'm a good person. And you get this, you've probably had these conversations with work colleagues where it comes up. The issue actually is more important than that. We all sin, but God wants to break the power of sin in our lives. This is the issue. And murdering is an, is an extreme example of that. So I really don't think that this is an unregenerate and unsaved man. But having been looking at this this week, I don't think I had fully appreciated the objection that there was to this being Paul describing his Christian life as it was then. In other words, this apostle of faith, he's got to this position, this is Paul preaching, he's writing his letters, and in his letters, he is putting this as identifying as how he is. That's where there is a particular major objection. You see, he is indicating that this person has knowledge of sin, um, and you see, sorry, let me, I've jumped here in, the, in my notes. You see, the, what the scholars point out is that Paul te- what he teaches in the rest of Romans doesn't match up to this particular point. So, if you like, what he says elsewhere in the letter doesn't match the fact that Paul, the Christian, who he is now, really fits with what he's saying here. Let me, let me show you some examples, and there are quite a few, so that you get the point. So, obviously, what we're talking about here is, look, this, is this Paul in his Christian life now? And we're trying to identify, well, is, is it his Christian life now or not? Because what else does he say that actually contradicts that in this particular letter and even some other letters? So, first of all, Romans 6, verses 1 and 2, where it says, Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? And Paul says, By no means. Yet in this bit here of this man, we still find him living in sin. Romans 6 verse 6, For we know that our old, sinful, our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Yet we find the old self still seeming very much alive with this miserable man. Romans 6 verse 11, in the same way, Paul says, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6 verses 12 to 13, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. You see, the instructions of this verse is that sin should be rooted out of our lives. And we, instead, should be actively offering ourselves to God. But that does not seem to be happening for our man in chapter 7. And Paul goes on. Romans 6 verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. 
And of course, if you're under the dominion of something, it means something is ruling over you. Something has got its grip on you. And he means here, it means that sin has got a grip on you, a hold over you. And yet Paul teaches in verse 18 of chapter 6, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. See, as I read these scriptures, I would have to say I would agree that these points are not in line with the person or with what the person in chapter 7 is, expre- is expressing. Let's just jump further forward into chapter 7 itself. Let me remind you of some scriptures we've already read. Romans 7 verse 4. So, my brothers and sisters, you died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. And chapter 7 verse 6. But now, by dying to what once bound us, We have been released from the law so that we can serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And furthermore, if we jump over to chapter 8, and I know we're going slightly forward here, chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Paul is clearly teaching that the Christian has died to the law. He has been released from the law. And through Jesus Christ has been set free from the law of sin and death. Yet when we go back to our man in chapter 7, it seems that he's still very much stuck in it. It's like he's still wrestling with it. He hasn't overcome it. Now, I know there's a lot of scriptures, but allow me just to go on just a little bit further. Romans 8, verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Romans 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Romans 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And finally, Romans 14, verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, I have to say, as I've been going through those scriptures, and I know there's a lot of them, and I know it's quite a lot to take in, what I would say, it becomes clear to me that, yes, it's it's true. The teaching that Paul is giving in the whole of the letter does not match that of the man in chapter 7. Paul teaches freedom, victory, release. Our man in chapter 7 is complaining of oppression and domination of sin. So I would agree that the man we read of in Romans 7 does not seem to be Paul, the mature Christian, because his words and demeanor are very different from Paul's. So, of course, another question arises, as there would be in any particular debate. Okay, well, if it's not the unregenerate, the unsaved Paul, if it's not Paul, the mature Christian, is it Paul, the immature Christian? Is it Paul in his early life? But the thing here is, that there's no indication that that is the case either, particularly of the fact that the man in chapter 7 is using the present tense. He says, O wretched man that I am. 
In other words, he's indicating the state that he's in right now. And it seems strange that Paul will be talking about earlier on in years without actually mentioning that of what he is right now. You can imagine how it's been this week. It's been, I've been having to read loads and loads of stuff and try and digest things, trying to get my head around this. Paul, I need to speak to you in heaven and ask you, why were you so complex? And I expect he'll give us an answer that lasts for quite some time afterwards. Okay, let's ask the question then, why did Paul write this chapter 7? Well, the main function of writing this particular part of the book, because obviously it's been divided up now, uh, at what we call chapter 7, was to show us that the law cannot, what, it was to show us what the law cannot do because it is weakened through the flesh. It's to show us what the law cannot do because it's weakened through the flesh. And I believe what we see here of our man in chapter 7, I believe. Personally, this is, I believe that he is regenerate. I believe that he is saved. I believe that he's reached out for Jesus, for salvation. Because there's something about it as you read it, you can sense that he is carrying something of spiritual life about him. Some sort of spiritual awareness about him. And, but this is the issue. I don't sense that he's living in what Paul describes as the new way of the spirit. I sense that he's still living rather through the flesh. I think I would say he is more carnally minded and he's a little bit spiritually lazy. And before any of you think, I identified with that man. I I felt that was a bit like my life. Let me just remind you of what I said earlier on. I identified with that man. I related to what he was saying. So this is not a time for us to be suddenly saying, woe is me, that's it, this is exactly what I'm like, I'm never going to match up to what Paul says. It's more a time for us to say, rather than saying, woe is me, but a time to say, who can save me? Who can save me? Who can take me out of this place? Romans 7 verse 25, which we haven't read, we've read most of the book of Romans this morning. Romans 7, verse 25, the first part says this, in answer to that question, who can save me, says Paul? Or this wretched man, who can save me? And Paul comes back and says, thank God. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. So the solution is found in Jesus Christ, and we praise God for that. The second half of that scripture says this, because it's Paul going on to say about our man in chapter 7. Uh, so verse 25, second part. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. The problem for him is that his sinful nature is still very much alive. The problem for the man in Romans chapter 7 that I identified with, that maybe, maybe, because obviously you don't have to say anything out there, maybe that some of you could identify with, is that his sinful nature is still very much alive. Now, I fully agree that our sinful nature is not going to be completely eradicated, is not going to be completely overcome until we actually pass away from this earth and we go up to heaven and we get a new body, a completely new body, that is sin-free. I accept that. But there are things that Paul teaches that can help us in this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, he says this, I 
discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. We cannot afford to be spiritually lazy, but we need to learn to discipline ourselves. My son's recently gone to the gym, or not just because it's New Year. In fairness to him, he was going before Christmas. So I just need to make that, because if you ever met him, it wasn't just because of January. It's, he was going before. But he decided to take on a personal trainer. And he was explaining to me how he was going to the gym, and he was accomplishing many things, running, doing all sorts of things. The personal trainer has come in and aggravated that slightly. He's taken him to a new level. Because the personal trainer wants to get the best discipline, physical discipline in this case, out of him. That's what's happening. You've got to go with it. He obviously said, yes, this is what I want. So he's going with it. But you know what? That serves as an example for us. We know there are spiritual disciplines that we need to engage with. But there's a part of us, which is what I'm calling this morning, spiritual laziness, that just says, oh, do you know what? I'll put it off to tomorrow. And, and you know the thing about tomorrow, does tomorrow ever come? Because you keep putting it off to tomorrow. Keep putting it off to tomorrow. There's a degree in which, yes, we can be dealing with spiritual laziness. We know what is right to do. When a man knows what is right to do and does not do it, for that man, James says, it is sin. And this is what we've got to, re- we've got to realize. There is a discipline. Paul has said, I actually discipline my body, what? Like an athlete. Like somebody who's going to the Olympics. And you know what? When you're going to the Olympics, or when you're getting to that level of training, we all understand, whether it's footballers or you know, whether it's athletes, we all understand their lives are set apart for them to be disciplined for the sake of the particular sport that they're representing. The cry here that we're hearing from Paul is, Folks, you need to listen to this. We need to be separated from the flesh life. You can't just allow it to be there. You need to deal with it. But you know what? It's very much part of us. It's very much what we're used to. It's very much the comfort that comes to us. It's like, oh, you need a bit of this. You need a bit of that. And denying it suddenly feels very painful. We're dealing with those things. Paul disciplined himself like an athlete and... Uh, spiritually, and we need to discipline ourselves like spiritual athletes too. Spiritual laziness can come to all of us, but we need to learn to discipline ourselves. Paul reminds us, Romans 8 verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Notice it says, if by the Spirit. There's a responsibility that each of us has as individuals, that we've all got to do something. We've got to connect with the Holy Spirit and allow him to do his work in our lives. When we see sin in our lives, we need to respond. We need to respond, this has got to go. I need to seek God. I need his help. Remember, our salvation is completely, utterly, entirely free. But there is a work for us as saved people to do. Our relationship with the Holy Spirit needs to be developed. It needs to be developed. Why? 
because we have been released from the law, because we died to it, and we're no longer captive to its power, so that now we can serve God, not in the old way, says Paul, of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living by the Spirit. I'm sitting here, standing here talking to you, and in my mind I'm thinking like, I need to find out more about this so that I can do this more effectively. I don't feel as though this is a mountain we've climbed. Oh yeah, I did that. I've done Snowden. I've done Ben Nevis. Both of those are lies, by the way. I haven't done either of those. Um, you know, I've climbed this, I've climbed that, I've done this. No, we're not saying that. What we're saying is, oh my goodness. I of myself say this, I cannot afford to identify with the man in chapter 7 any longer. I need to identify with the man who wrote about the man in chapter 7. Paul the Apostle, who was a victorious, overcoming Christian. So, we need to develop our relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's an ongoing process. As I mentioned last week, therefore, Bible reading and prayer are essential to us in that. Let's not get spiritually lazy about these things. Let's face up to it. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. You're not always going to feel like it. Sometimes it's dry. Sometimes you fall asleep over the Bible. Well, at least I do sometimes. And sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's exciting. Sometimes it's enthralling. Sometimes it's encouraging. Sometimes it's inspiring. But look, it's all of those things. But you know what? Spiritual laziness. Oh, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. And it's not what we've been called to. We've been called to be spiritually active. We must be active in living by the Spirit rather than being lazy and keep, keep on living in the flesh. Let me finally remind you of this. Jesus, when he was on earth, one day he went into the uh, synagogue and he asked for the scroll and he was given the scroll and he stood up and he started to read from the scroll. You may remember the story. It appears in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus taking hold of the scroll, he reads in front of the people. So he's standing up there and he starts reading from the scroll of Isaiah and he went to this particular passage. Well, I'm reading from Luke 4 verse 18. He read this. The spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. And after having read this, Jesus closed it. And he said, like, these scriptures are now fulfilled this day. Because what he was saying is, this is me. This is me. This is what I can do. And you know what we said? Who can save us? This wretched man, who can save us from this body of sin? Praise God, it's Jesus Christ. He's the one who can save us. Why can he save us? Because the very reason that he came is to be anointed by the Spirit, to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim to every single person, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Are you in captivity to sin? Are you in captivity? It's not a... I'm not an adulterer. I'm not in captivity of those big sins. I'm not a murderer. No, okay. Do you love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your understanding? You see, it's not just those big things. It's where are we at before God? And it's not like, there's no point in pointing the finger at anybody. We're talking, all of us as individuals, we have to receive this message. As I've said, I identify with this man. Look, we all are at war against our flesh. 
And who stirs up the flesh? Well, the enemy does. He wants to stir it up. So you'll be in church here, clean thinking. Monday morning, you see something in the... You're not talking about pornography or anything like that. You just see an image of somebody, a guy or a girl. Thinking, oh yeah, my life would be so much better if I were related to them, if I were married to them, rather than this wretched husband of mine or this wretched wife of mine or whatever you might be thinking. He said quickly, moving on. What we're dealing with, what we're dealing with is the flesh. We're dealing with the flesh. The flesh is wants to keep you driving forward. It's almost a feels like it can't stop. And yet there is one who has come and he has said that he is the one who will break oppression. He has been sent, he has sent me, Jesus said, to proclaim freedom, freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Do you feel like you're oppressed because of what's going on in your mind, in your heart, through the life that you're living? Let me announce to you clearly this morning, Jesus has the power to set you free. To set you free from every prison. To set you free from every opposition and oppression. To set you free from sin so that we might live victorious lives. This is not so that we can be built up. Oh, look at me. Look how holy I am. No, you've just gone into pride. That's that action. You know, We shouldn't go into there. This is just being able to live so that Christ lives in me and through me. One of the things that Scott was talking about on Thursday evening when he was here was the effectiveness in his evangelism is simply this. He allows Jesus or the Holy Spirit to have his way. And Scott said... I need to get out of the way so that the Holy Spirit can have his way. John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he, Jesus, must increase. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about taking hold of our lives so that we, the I that represents me, the person that I am, the person that, oh, look how good I, look what I've achieved, look what I've done. No, that person needs to be humbled so that the power of God can come into me and into you and flow from us so that we might live lives the way that God wants us to live. So that's what I think uh, we can get out of Romans chapter 7. <sighs> Paul, he's a challenge. That's all I can say. He is a challenge. Bless God, we're going to leave it there. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.